0: Hello, hello, welcome. My name is Nicholas Doucette and you're listening to the Unbashful Podcast. This is a place where we talk about all things cinema, film, and TV. If it's your first time here, welcome. I'm an aspiring actor, screenwriter, and podcaster. And as I just mentioned, I love cinema. I am a cinema nerd. And if you are too, you found yourself in the right place. But without further ado, let's get right into today's episode. You saw the title. We're going to be talking about Ben Affleck's newest film, Air. Now, if you have visited this channel before, you have heard me talk many, many times about Ben Affleck. I am unapologetically a huge fan of his. I've talked about The Town. I've talked about you know, Argo, but The Town specifically is one of my favorite films of all time. And the thing about Ben Affleck is a lot of people don't actually know that he is this incredibly talented director. I've spoken to so many people and I've asked them, have you seen Argo? Have you seen have you Gone Baby Gone? Have you seen The Town? Some people say yes, some people say no. But the people that usually say yes, you know, they tell me, I, I, I loved it, I, I enjoyed it, so on. But when I ask them, you know, do you know that Ben Affleck directed this film? And they're like, no. What? And, you know, to be quite frank with you, a lot of people don't even know what a director actually does. People that aren't very familiar, you know, with the film industry or, or with the filmmaking process don't actually a, a lot of people think that the film rests upon the actor's shoulders and 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 that essentially the actor makes the whole film like he writes it he does everything don't get me wrong there are cases of that there are a few cases of right like of an actor uh, of one person writing directing acting hell even producing we've seen that before but a lot of people don't even know first of all what a director does and then to take it a step further, some people know what a director what a director does, but a lot of people don't know that Ben Affleck has made this illustrious career as a director. Like he has easily added 10, 15 years to his career. Yeah, I I look at it like sports. You know, you look at a you look at a basketball player, for example, because I'm a huge NBA fan. And if you have a guy who's, you know, sole um you know his 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 only offering his his only value to a team is his pure athleticism that player will not have a long career because that's what they depend on right but if then if you look at a player who who is still athletic because you i mean you have to to one degree or another you have to be athletic to be in the nba but if that's not what he depends on and and, and he's almost like a swiss army swiss army knife meaning like he 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 has many different skills. You know, he's a, he's a facilitator. He's, he, he can play on both ends of the floor. He can score. You know, he can create his own shot. He can create offense for others. He can, you know, he can set screens. He can roll to the stuff like that. You have, you're looking at the potential to have a 20, 25-year career. And the same thing goes for the film industry. Now, sure, there are a lot of actors that will act forever, as long as they want to, obviously. But if you're somebody that can continue adding to your toolbox, you're only going to make your career last longer. And don't get me wrong; it's not like Ben Affleck's career is going to be dying anytime soon if he was solely depending on his acting. Because I think Ben Affleck is a great actor. But I would go, I would go as far to say that I think Ben Affleck might be a better director than he is an actor. I think I I think I believe that. And he's only directed like five films. But, I mean, look at Argo. One Best Picture. Won uh, quite a few Oscars. It's funny that I say that because I think he... I don't even think he got a director nomination for that film. Which I think is crazy. It's the same thing that happened to Dune last year. Dune won like six Oscars. And Denis Villeneuve didn't even get a director nomination. That, I don't really think has has anything to do with, you know, the directors themselves, Denis Villeneuve, Ben Affleck, I think that's more to do with the Academy, because I think that same year that Argo won Best Picture, Ben Affleck won the DGA Award, which is the Directors Guild of America, and a lot of those same people that would have voted for him to win the DGA Award are a lot of the same voters of the Academy, so I don't know, that to this day kind of leaves me scratching and I'm sure a lot of you probably leaves you scratching your head too if you're familiar with that with that story but okay besides the point let's uh let's address air I'll keep it a buck I fucking love this movie I I loved it it was incredible and I have not enjoyed a sports film so much as I have with this film since Moneyball and it's funny after the film, I, like I saw it with a friend of mine, and we almost got into like a little bit of a, de- uh, a little bit of a debate on the way home. You know, I I I told him I said this is one of the best sports films I've ever seen, and he's like, "Is it a sport film?" When well, I I said, "Absolutely, it's a sport film," and he's like, "Well, we're not you know, we're not seeing the sport happen." Well, that's I'm paraphrasing. It's not exactly what he said. So if you're listening to this, you know who you are. I'm not quoting you. <laughs> I am I am paraphrasing what we talked about but you know it and what I countered with was that well yeah you didn't you didn't necessarily see basketball happening like it wasn't like coach Carter but we're 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 seeing the sport without the sport you don't have the movie <laughs> is, is, is 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 what I'm trying to say like it's not a sports film in the traditional sense that yeah you're not seeing you know four quarters of a basketball game going on no. It's about the business of the sport. So I still consider that a sports film, just not maybe in the traditional sense that a lot of people would consider. Like like I said, Coach Carter, um, you know, remember the Titans, something like that, right? This is very much about the business of the sport, the things that happen behind closed doors that most people probably don't know about, although I had a... I had a sports business historian to the left of me when I was watching this film. This guy just would not shut up. The whole film, he's he he every time something would happen, like for example, like when you learn the origin of the Nike name or when you learn the origin of, you know, the of of Air Jordan, like that name, every single time you would we 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 would find that out, immediately this guy to my left would just whisper to his girlfriend, "Yeah, yeah." And I just wanted to look over and say, dude, shut the fuck up. She's watching. She gets it. Okay. She just saw it happen. You don't need to continue to give a dissertation on it. <laughs> Anyways, besides the point. Um, but I love this film. You know, there was not a single weak link in this cast. And I think when Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are working together, it is dynamite. You know, um, the last duel. I know not a lot of people watch that film. Once again, dynamite. Goodwill Hunting. Come on. Dynamite um they're 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 the perfect team obviously they grew up together in this business they found success just sort of around the same well I mean pretty much at the same time goodwill hunting obviously and you know Matt Damon great performance you know need I say my I mean you, come on you know it's Matt Damon Chris Tucker awesome you know Chris Tucker he hasn't been doing a lot of movies lately but he's been popping up in a lot of these films with like auteur directors like for example he he was in the Silver Linings Playbook for a supporting role um and he's been in a couple other films and like he gives really strong performances like they're short but they're memorable right and it's very it's, it's very similar with this film you know it, don't get me wrong i think his role is important but he is very much a supporting character he's i'd say he's probably in the film around 10 15 minutes of screen time but it's 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 perfect it's great and Jason Bateman I love Jason Bateman he, he he's very much an actor that I it's it's similar to what I talked about you know the more tools you have the better and you know he's he's directed Ozark um but in terms of him as an actor you know he he he's so um versatile you know he he can he could work in comedy. We've seen him do obviously Arrested Development and you know comedy movies like The Switch and stuff like that. But then he can obviously do something like Ozark. You know he can he can do something like um, he can do something like this, right? So he he's one of those actors that will have a that will act forever just simply because he's so versatile, and he just seems like a genuine uh, he seems like a genuinely good person because that's the thing that people forget about you know this this business, right? And I'm, obviously I don't have <laughs> a lot of experience so just from the research i've done you know a lot of times like you're you're filming a movie and you're filming for 12 13 14 hours a day you're spending time with these people sure you want to get the most talented person on the job but it's also a balance of like okay you want to get you need to get somebody that's talented but you also need to get somebody that that can work well with others and jason Bateman strikes me as a, as the kind of person that like he he seems like he's very easy to work with. So anyways, um, yeah. What is air about for the, for is I'm sure some of you will probably be asking air is about the story. Well, not the story. It's about, it's about the real life event of Nike and their pursuit to signing Michael Jordan before, when he was on his way to the NBA. And, you know, a lot of people look at Nike now and think, well, Nike's the, the king, right? And they are. But back when Michael Jordan was coming into the league, they actually like they they they, they addressed this right at the beginning of the film. I think the numbers were something like um, at the time, like in the '80s, I think Converse had like uh, I want to say like seventy-something percent market share in, in terms of like athletics and shoes and stuff like that. Uh, and then I think second to them was Adidas with like forty-something percent market share. Uh, I, I think those two numbers could be wrong, but but the number I do remember is that the, that in the film that they said Nike only had 17 percent market share. So compared to that today, obviously that number is sky high. They fuck probably like 99 percent of the market share. Um, but back then, I mean, they were only really signing athletes in like track and field. So you know, basketball was they, they were they were they had they were you know last place more or less. And they they really had no notable names, no notable athletes. Obviously, at that time, Converse had Michael, or excuse me, um, they had Larry Bird, they had Magic Johnson. So they had the, they had the big players, right? But Michael Jordan was coming up, and a lot of people knew like this guy is going to be the next real deal. And Michael Jordan had you know no interest in Nike. Made it very clear that he does not even want to take a meeting with them. But that's what this film is all about. It's all about Nike, basically not taking no for an answer. And more specifically, it's about this guy named Sonny, uh, who's obviously a real person, and he was the head of this basketball division. And, and he basically galvanized the troops, and 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 he got everyone to sort of put this this pitch this pitch together. He basically spearheaded this whole you know hunt to try and sign Michael Jordan. So. I mean, I guess you could say I just spoiled the whole fucking film, but this was a real event. So I mean, if you know, it's it's out there, Uh, and it's not so much about the spoiler because you know you 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 know what's going to happen. You know that Michael Jordan obviously made a name for himself. You know the you know the rest is history. We we see what happened, but it's it's throughout that that we see you know the pursuit and how we see it happen. That's the beauty of this film, the dialogue, the writing, the direction. Um, Ben Affleck does act in this film. He plays the CEO Phil Knight., yeah, uh, you know, supporting role, but when he pops in, you know, it's money. Um but for me, I think my my two highlights were probably Viola Davis and Matt Damon. Um in fact, I think Ben Affleck said that they weren't gonna make this film or they weren't allowed to make this film, something along those lines, if they couldn't get Viola Davis to play michael jordan's mom and she is once again money money viola davis is is one of the best actresses of all time easily i i I love her she she's amazing and this yeah so once again this this film i mean was 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 incredible like I, i i once again you know afterwards i was driving home with my friend and we were talking about it and he, you know he pointed out some criticisms that he had, but in the immediate moment I, I couldn't think of something and I was going to do an out of theater reaction, but I I, I didn't and to be quite honest with you I, I don't see myself doing anymore. Um, I'm not saying I won't ever do one maybe like once in a while. But I, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of doing them anymore. And, and the reason why, because I know if you visit my YouTube channel, you've seen I've done some in the past. And I mean, in fact, my, my best video on my channel, um, in terms of performance and numbers and views, is an out of theater reaction I did for Everything Everywhere All At Once. That today is my highest view video. But the thing about out of theater reactions is that I, it kind of sucks the life out of what you just watched. And that's why I don't really do them anymore. Because you watch a movie and you kind of need to let it soak. And if you're gonna do a review on it, it's that much more important to let it settle. So if you just walk out, and I get it that that's that's sort of the <laughs> that's kind of the shtick of doing an out of theater reaction is like you're, you're you're all over the place, right? Like I I get that, but for me, it's like when I walk out of the theater. I kind of just want to just just sit back and just think about it. You know, maybe I'm maybe I'm going too deep. Maybe I'm taking this too serious, but for me, if I just get out and I just start talking about it, I feel like I'm just like releasing all this energy I had about the film. I don't know. That's just me. Let me know if you feel the same way or if you think I'm just <laughs> looking way too deep into this. I don't know. But anyways, I I love this film and it also Tackles some thematics in terms of you know taking risks. I think that was the biggest thing that I pulled from this film: take risks because you will regret it later if you don't. For example, the main character that we're following, who's spearheading this whole operation to get Michael Jordan, Sonny, which is Matt Damon's character, he his job is on the line. You know, Ben Affleck tells him, you know, I'll 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 give you the budget, I'll give you the money to pursue Mike because obviously, you know, the the high rollers like Adidas and Converse, well, they're going to match anything that they offer. Um, specifically in the film, they they their 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 plan is to offer Michael Jordan two hundred fifty thousand dollars of, of salary, which I mean, a lot of you that follow sports are probably thinking that that's nothing, but back then that was a lot of money. That was probably the equivalent to like a a five year one sixty deal or some something that we see today in the NBA. That was a lot of money. And keep in mind, that was just from, this was an endorsement. This wasn't even his main salary that he was then going to go on to make for the NBA. So that's a lot of money. And at the time, Nike couldn't really afford it. And obviously, you know, nobody had a had a, had a a silver, you know, had, had a crystal ball. Nobody could see into the future and see that, oh, this guy, Michael Jordan, is the real deal. He will go on to win six championships and be arguably one of the, you know, if not the greatest player of all time there was still a lot of doubt as there always is every year i mean you can go up you can go back and find the silliest takes from espn reporters saying stuff like i mean don't get me wrong sometimes they get it right but a lot of times you'll hear guys say like oh i i think lebron is too tall you know like stuff like that um so you know there was a lot of doubt but there was also you know a lot of. Uh, hope at the same time that's why these companies like converse and you know adidas were were willing to go you know to to for their standards move heaven and earth right and that was going to be the the differentiating differentiating factor between nike because nike knew that michael did not have any interest in them so they knew that they were they were going to have to move heaven and earth like beyond just the salary, beyond just the car, because that's another thing that apparently was 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 part of the demand. Like, we want the salary and we want this this red Mercedes or something like that. They needed to show that they're committed to Michael just beyond signing him and having him as another name to show off to shareholders and say, look at us, we have this other athlete that we just signed, and then we're gonna sign another one next week. No, they needed to show that they were committed and that they were going to build around him. And they weren't going to make a shoe in his name. They were going to make a sh- They were going to make him the shoe, which is what they say in the film. And one of my favorite lines in the film is that it's not about the shoe. It's about who steps into it. That was like their selling. That was like their pitch. And I love that. Um, but yeah, getting back to the whole thing about taking risks, you know, Sonny, the character in the film, he had to fight tooth and nail with phil knight throughout the film to get the budget to get the approval and you know phil knight throughout the, several times throughout the film says like look i if we fuck this up like the board is gonna f- cut this whole basketball division down and you're gonna lose your fucking job so matt damon like he knew that there was a lot on the line and he he put all his eggs in one basket and i'm gonna be honest with you i i'm 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 a big believer in that. I think if, if you if you want to pursue something or you have a goal in mind and you are very passionate about that and and and, and it's on your mind 24 seven, you can't shut it off. To me personally, this might be naive. This might be uh, some of you might say this might not be strategic or, or whatever. I think you got to put all your eggs in one basket. Personally, me speaking, because. Even if you fuck up and you fail and it doesn't turn out the way you wanted it to, at least you can look back and say, well, you know, I, I wasn't one foot in one foot out. And that's very much the, the mindset and the approach that Sonny takes in this film. He's like, you know what? Because in the beginning of the film, how, how it works is that they're every year, you know, they break down the budget that they had to pursue players. And basically the, the pool of money was $250,000. Now, obviously, for Adidas and Converse, well, I mean, they can give that to just one player. But for Nike, their plan was we're going this is going to be our pool and we're going to use this money and essentially diversify and give it to three different players that we'll try and pursue and sign. And right off the bat, they were looking at the board. They were just writing off, you know, the basically one through 10 in terms of those picks of players. They were looking all the way down to like, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 and so on. And that right there was already it was already the mistake because that means they're selling themselves short. And it was Sonny's character. It, it was Sonny. He had the idea of let's... He was so confident in Michael Jordan. Mind you, this is all a true story. So he was so confident in Michael Jordan that he said, we're going to use our entire budget. We're going to offer only one guy money and we're going to throw everything at him. And obviously, you know... We we uh we know what happened. <laughs> Michael Jordan sign and the rest is history. I think at the end of the film they uh they were like kind of putting up some facts and I think they said that each year in passive income, Michael Jordan earns four hundred million dollars just from the Air Jordan brand alone. And at the end of the film, Viola Davis, she basically gives the call to Sonny and she tells him like You know, like it's, it's obviously it's, it's celebratory. Everyone's, everyone's happy. She, uh, she tells Matt Damon's character, Sonny, she's like, we will accept your $250,000 offer as well as the red car under one condition. And the deal almost flopped because of this. She tells, she tells him, she says under one condition that every shoe sold under Michael's name, he will get a gross profit from it, which at that time had never been done before ever. And they, you know, they continue to talk about, I'm not going to obviously go beat by beat, you know, word for word what happened, but it took some convincing. Sonny was hesitant at first, not because he didn't want to do it, but because he thought, you know, I've, I've gone, I've, it's, it's a miracle. I've even had the green light from upstairs to, to, to go this far in terms of the budget and everything like that. But come on, I, I can't offer you this. And then he tells Phil Knight and Phil, Knight's like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> fuck it, <laughs> we're here, let's do it, you know, if we go down, we go down together, pretty much, <laughs> so, you know, um, yeah, I think I'll cut it there, I'm kind of just rambling at this point uh, in terms of my review for the film, but I loved it, I thought it was incredible, and uh, for me, I'd, I'd say the two highlights are the writing and uh, Viola Davis and uh, Matt Damon, well, I guess it's that's, uh, that's three, so... Let me know what you guys think when air comes out. Uh, I'm sure I'm probably missing some things that happen in the film. Um, Yeah, check it out. It's awesome. Now, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about some other stuff. And uh, we're going to talk about some Oppenheimer. Apparently, the film is three hours long. Can't wait. So, yeah, Oppenheimer is on the horizon. It's coming out in just a few months. And it's crazy. I mean, time is blowing by because... Nope came out last summer, and uh, when it came out, the first trailer for the film released as well. And that was that was at that point, that was marking one year from that day forward until Oppenheimer's release. And now we're just a few months away, it's crazy. And if you've you know visited my channel before, you saw my top 10 most anticipated films of this year. Oppenheimer was number one. I am a Christopher Nolan is my favorite director working in Hollywood today. Obviously, I just waxed rhapsodic about Ben Affleck, um, but my favorite filmmaker in Hollywood working today, one of my favorite of all time, is Christopher Nolan. And say what you will about Tenet, I know it came out in a very weird time of 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 everything <laughs> of life, uh, you know, during during the middle of a pandemic. And I'm not saying that's why it, it might it might or might not have performed as well. Although I think it did, let's be honest. You know, day and day release HBO Max. Come on, <laughs> that was the wrong decision to make. But I digress. He has not made a bad film, in my opinion. I, I don't even think he's made a good film. I think every film he's okay. Actually, Tenet was good, but every other film that he's made, I think has been great, in my opinion. Even his, you know, first ever feature film following. Which a lot of people haven't seen, but go check it out. I don't. I think I've watched, I think it's on YouTube. I think that's where I watched it. You could watch it on YouTube. It's like an hour long. It's his first time behind the camera. Um, but Oppenheimer, for those of you who don't know, is the story of uh, theoretical physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who is essentially behind the operation of creating the first ever atomic bomb. Uh, well, I guess you know the the. I think it's the fat boy the fat man and the little boy, I can't remember, the, the two bombs that were dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, obviously a very, you know, tragic time in history, a lot of innocent people die, let's not forget, um, and it ended up creating, cascading into a lot of things that, you know, we're dealing with today, there's a lot of fear that we are on the brink of nuclear warfare, and uh, it all started from, from that point in World War II. And this man, obviously not him alone, there was other people that helped, but he was pretty much the, the brains of the op, of the operation. So, or, or rather, the biggest brain of the operation. And uh, it's a very interesting film, film choice for Christopher Nolan. And you know, I actually just found this out the other week. Originally, Christopher Nolan was actually going to direct Aviator. The film that Martin Scorsese directed about, uh, I can't remember the individual's name, Howard Hughes. About Howard Hughes, he was this filmmaker who struggled with obsessive-compulsive disorder and stuff like that. Um, That film originally was going to be directed by Christopher Nolan. So it just goes to show that he's always wanted to make a biopic about somebody. And I guess now's the time, and Killian Murphy is going to be starring in it. And Killian Murphy is no stranger to Christopher Nolan. He's been in a lot of his films he was in all three of the Dark Knight films, um, he, he was Scarecrow when the first, in Batman Begins, and he was, you know, obviously a very key, uh, he had a key role in that film, uh, but then the other two films, he was in there for like five seconds, so, uh, but he was in Inception, he was in, uh, Dunkirk, um, I don't think he was in Interstellar, but I could be wrong, I haven't seen Interstellar in a little while, I don't think he was in there though, but, Killian Murphy is a great actor. I'm not I look, I tried to get into Peaky Blinders. It's just not for me. Um it's it, but it has nothing to do with Killian Murphy. I just I don't know, I didn't grow up in Birmingham, I'm not familiar with the sort of, you know, lore and and and, and, and the history of what happened back then. Uh so you know, just not for me, but I can I can appreciate the show. But I will say I I, I gave it a fair shake and I love Killian Murphy in it. Um and, and I've been waiting for him to really Kind of, you know, because I think he absolutely can lead a film as big as this. I mean, And he has led films before, but, you know, he's pretty much been doing TV for the last, you know, five, six years with Peaky Blinders. So I'm happy to see that he's back starring in a movie and obviously working with Christopher Nolan again. again that's that's perfect. He actually auditioned to play Batman uh, way back when when they were obviously making, you know, Batman Begins. But yeah, this this film has been on my radar I I have not been this excited for a film probably since Avengers Endgame and and I I truly mean that that is not hyperbole. I am so fucking excited. Uh what me and my friends are doing that day because it comes out the same day as Barbie, which I think is hilarious. So we're 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 going to see we're going to do a double feature. We're going to see Barbie first and then we're going to see Oppenheimer at the end of the night. And I think that's I think that's like the perfect juxtaposition. Actually, no, that's the wrong word because I mean they're they're polar opposites. There is no juxta- <laughs> juxtaposition. Um, there, it's 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 a great palate cleanser. Excuse me, is I guess the 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 better way of putting it. You know, you have this bright, colorful, exciting, funny film um, with Barbie, which I'm sure will probably tackle some you know some. Some serious themes because it's it's Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach behind this film. Greta Gerwig is directing it, uh, and then she also co-wrote it with her husband Noah Baumbach. So they're very talented writers. So there will be there will be a, lev- a, a level of quality and substance to this film. I don't think it's just going to be a Barbie movie. I think. People understand the talent behind it, which is the draw. Because if it was anybody else, I wouldn't care to see a Barbie movie. I didn't play with Barbie dolls as a kid. But it's because of the talent surrounding it that I think there's going to be layers to this film that's going to push it beyond just being a story about a doll, a famous doll. So, I don't know, that's just me. Um, So, yeah, we're going to be seeing Oppenheimer and Barbie the same day. One movie about a doll, another about the, the construction of nuclear weapons. So very, uh, very funny, you know, sort of way to, 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 to spend the day. Um, I feel like I'm stuttering too much. I got to stop drinking coffee before I do these podcasts. I'm just all jittery. <laughs> um, for those of you are wondering real quick, uh, cause I've had a couple people ask me, Why I haven't been doing the video versions of these podcasts and they will return. I'm actually I'm in a new house and I'm trying to sort out where in my house I'm going to actually record my podcast. And I also want to make a better looking setup because obviously, look, just let's call what it is. This podcast is nothing and I'm self-aware enough and I don't have an ego to to sit here and deny that I have literally a hundred subscribers, but I'm not pitying myself. I'm proud of the progress I've made. I'm I'm proud to just do this. You know, this is this is a fun thing to do. It gives me something to do. It gives me something to work towards for my mental health. It just it's great. But I got I also got to look in the mirror and say, okay, you know, where can I make changes? Where can I make improvements? And look, when you watch my podcast, I I encourage you to do them. But I think you'd even agree my setups are boring. I'm just sitting in front of a fucking white wall. You know what I mean? That I, who wants to watch that for two hours? Not me. I wouldn't, right? So I'm in the middle of figuring out. You know how can I spice it up a bit in terms of what you're looking at beyond just me? Because uh, I know I'm a who <laughs> wouldn't want to look at me. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm fucking kidding. I'm a, a narcissist. Uh, so yeah. I, besides the point. Jokes aside. I'm I'm in the middle of figuring out what the new setup is going to look like. But I don't just want to go two months without talking about movies or anything like that because there are, there are so much things happening I I think a secret evasion and a blue beetle trailer are dropping I think the secret evasion trailer has probably dropped well I've while I've been recording this podcast so I'm sure you know see next week I got something to talk about right so um yeah but Getting back to what I originally intended on talking about was the runtime. That has been a big topic of discussion. And Christopher Nolan has made some very long movies, and he's made some shorter movies. I think his longest film right now is uh, um, is is currently Interstellar. If, I, if my memory serves me correctly, yeah. So the yeah, I actually have a. Let me see. Where did this come from? Uh, this came from The Direct, and it's a little article. I'm going to read it here. It sort of talks about the runtime. So uh, it says, quote, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer will reportedly be a record breaker for the director, who has famously made some long movies over the years. The acclaimed director will soon make his post-pandemic return to theaters with Oppenheimer, a biopic exploring the Manhattan Project and the life of Robert Oppenheimer, played by Cillian Murphy, known to many as the father of the atomic bomb. According to the latest What I'm Hearing newsletter from Puck's Matt Be- Belloni, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, Christopher Nolan's next movie, Oppenheimer, will break the director's record for his longest movie yet. That record was previously held by 2014's Interstellar at a shocking 169 minutes, which in parentheses I have is two hours and 49 minutes long. But Nolan's new nuclear blockbuster will reportedly surpass it, clocking in at around the three-hour mark. However, it should be noted that Oppenheimer does not yet seem to be locked, so pending any last-minute adjustments from Nolan and co., that three-hour runtime may go up or down slightly. And that's the end of the quote. So, I I believe that. And to be honest with you, I think that this film was picture locked. Now, what does that mean? Picture locked just is quite literally, you know, that's it. The picture's done. It's ready. It's ready to be shipped out. Copies are ready to be shipped out to cinemas. I think it's picture locked. You know, this is Christopher Nolan here. As much as I love Marvel, you know, Marvel, they'll make changes fuck the day before the movie comes out, right? (laughs) They'll completely rewrite the ending and shoot it the night before the film's supposed to premiere and they'll do it all in one night. That's not Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan... He operates on a well, on a well-oiled machine. I think I think that's I think that's the phrase. <laughs> um, so, and and obviously he's working with Universal, and you know they've they've made some fantastic films. So I think this film is done. And in fact, Matt Damon, well, on you know doing red carpet and promoting Air, because for those of you who don't know, Matt Damon is one of the main main uh main actors in, in Oppenheimer. He was asked about Oppenheimer and he said it's fantastic and he praised Killian Murphy. He said his performance is phenomenal. And he said it's three hours. He I, I, he said it was three hours, but then he went he, he went on to say like he doesn't know for sure if it is, but he's he's like pretty sure like it felt like that. Oh sorry, he, he didn't say it felt like three hours. He said he said it is three hours, but he's not completely sure. But it blew by it is it isn't slow. So that's great to hear. That's what we want to hear. Of course, it's an actor promoting a film that he's in. He's not going to sit here and say, "Yeah, the film's fucking dog shit. Don't, don't, don't see it." No, obviously not. But this is Christopher Nolan that we're talking about here. I, th- I, I think we can give him and Matt Damon the benefit of the doubt. And I love to hear that Killian Murphy shines. This film easily could just sweep the Oscars. This is the perfect kind of movie for that. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of scary how. How relevant this story is, as I mentioned, to today with everything going on around the world and, you know, NATO and Ukraine and all that stuff. It's it's kind of scary how how, how how prevalent this this idea of the atomic bomb is. Um, kind of gives me a little existential crisis, to be quite honest with you. But anyways, um, yeah, let me know if you guys are as excited as I am for Oppenheimer. And uh, do you think you're going to be able to make it through three hours? Do you think theaters should go back to intermissions? <laughs> Let me know down in the comments below. Well, I guess this is a podcast, so this won't there won't be comments. Have a discussion with a friend about it. Fuck. <laughs> now, let's move on, and we're going to talk about what's next. I got a bunch of different topics here we could address. Let's go over the Fantastic Four. It's being completely rewritten now with a whole new writer taking over. So to kind of switch over to the superhero discussion now for the Marvel fans out there. I am one of you, and we've all been waiting for the Fantastic Four. We've all been waiting for the news about you know the casting and things like that. Hey, look, let's just call it what it is, man. The Fantastic Four have not really been done justice. You know, we've had a few iterations of them, uh, and it, nothing is quite yet hit with the audience. You look at Batman. I mean, we we we've had so many iterations. We've had so many great takes, and there's been some you know some. Some questionable stuff we've seen with the Schumacher films, but we've had some great Batman we can point to, and I think the one that we have right now is Fantastic with Robert Pattinson, but we haven't had really one standout interpretation on screen of the Fantastic Four, at least in my opinion, but I think the majority of people would probably agree. And I think a lot of people are as optimistic as ever with Marvel getting back the rights, which has been part of the problem, I think, because now this this part here, we don't know if this is true or not. This could just be speculation, but apparently how the contract worked was that Fox was, you know, essentially leasing the rights to the fantastic like from Marvel to for the Fantastic Four characters for the rights for them. And they had to make a Fantastic Four film every, I think it was like every five years. And so the last film that came out, you know, the 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 one with, uh, with Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller, a lot of people speculated that that film only happened because they just wanted, you know, that Fox wanted to just keep the rights. And they had really no intention on making a film, but they were coming up to that five-year mark. So they just made a film anyways. Look, I don't know if that's completely true or not. You know, anytime someone's making a film, they're going to, obviously pour their passion into it. That might just be something kind of going on upstairs. But anyways, the new fantastic four film is coming. We know that Matt Shackman is directing it, who directed the WandaVision series. And originally we found out that we had the writers, uh, their names were Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer. They were the previous writers on the project. Um, but now we got news that the film is being rewritten and it comes out in just a few years and it's being completely rewritten by a new writer, and that man is Josh Friedman. So let's go ahead and read this article from The Hollywood Reporter. They break it down. Quote, Marvel's first family is getting a rewrite. Josh Friedman, who worked on Avatar The Way of Water and developed Snowpiercer as a TNT, as a TNT television series, has been tapped to write the script for Marvel Studios' Fantastic Four. Matt Shackman, who is the key director behind Marvel series WandaVision, is on board to helm the feature that has a release date of February 14th, 2020. 25, that's close to my birthday and is set to kick off Phase fix face six excuse me of its storytelling universe jeff kaplan and ian springer who i just mentioned were the previous writers on the project and, and freeman's higher signals of potential change in tone kaplan and springer were neo neo neophyte neotype i don't even know how to pronounce that neophyte scribes known for their comedy scripts among the works they have in development are the Rebel Wilson comedy, K-pop, Lost in America, and Disaster Wedding, which is Palm Springs filmmaker Max Barbacau. <laughs> Barbacau attached to direct. Look, guys, I'm I'm bad with names, I'll just be honest with you. The article goes on to say Freeman, on the other hand, is a veteran of the sci-fi genre. He co-wrote War of the World, Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise update on the HG Wells classic, and then acted as the writer creator of Terminator, the Sarah Connelly Sarah Connor chronicles the Terminator TV series that served as its first foray into the world of James Cameron. Years later, he would return to work on 2019's Terminator: Dark Fate. I haven't seen that film; I heard it's not very good. Uh, and it was one of the writers Cameron turned uh, to help in world building and crafting stories for his multi movie Avatar franchise. End of quote. So look, I mean, he did he did Terminator: Dark Fate, which, on all accounts, is not a good film. But as the article you know, mentioned he's, he's had, he's, he's had his hand in the sci-fi genre for a while and he worked on avatar way of water. So compared to the previous writers and and what, what did it say that they had worked on rebel Wilson, comedy, K-pop loss in America. What the fuck is that? I have, I've never heard of that. And look, Marvel likes to get a lot of, you know, Relatively unknown talent and 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 you know take a chance on them, which has proved to work for for some people like the Russo brothers and obviously James Gunn is probably the biggest name to you know that people can point to. But you got to at least have a few things under your belt, and these two guys had next to nothing. And 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 as I talked about, you know the Fantastic Four they are in desperate need of a hit because we really haven't had one. So you're going to. Take another crack at this franchise and you're going to take... I'm all about taking risks. I just talked about it. But with a franchise that has failed so many times already, I think you're probably better off going for a more established writer to handle this franchise. And now it looks like they're pivoting and they're making that right decision. Uh, Don't get me wrong. This guy, Josh Freeman, isn't like an Academy-level writer, uh, but... I feel a lot more confident with him writing this film than I do the previous two guys. So pretty exciting. Let me know what you guys think. Who do you think? Do you think Marvel has already casted the actors? I believe they do. And I think part of the screenwriting process now, this, you know, screenwriters don't always get this luxury, but many times, especially, especially for a studio project in this case, this is obviously a massive studio film. I think that they probably have their actors and actors in mind or, 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 casted fuck and this will help Josh Friedman now because when he's writing the film he can write it knowing that okay for example uh, let's just say Adam Driver is playing Reed Richards okay I have Adam Driver playing Reed Richards he can almost try and like write in character almost knowing how you know Adam Driver sounds when he speaks in his sort of acting style so it it definitely helps in the screenwriting process so let me know what you guys think of this decision and let's move on we're gonna end today's episode talking about one more news headline we're going to talk about uh some news regarding the batman 2 and it's apparent villain that could be a part of this film so yeah the batman part 2 that is also going to be coming out in 2025 that is just going to be a fucking stacked year we have james gunn's superman legacy we have kang dynasty barring a delay um we have this film we have So many I'm probably forgetting some Um, now deadline reported uh, I'll just read it from them quote other sources are telling us that the scripts are constantly changing and that Clayface is a big addition to Matt Reeves the Batman 2 let's wait until the dust settles here and something moves forward it remains to it, I'm speaking too fast it remains to be seen whether Clayface is a connection between the Batman 2 Elseworld and Gunn and Saffron's feature and series sprawling DC Gods and Monsters chapter 1 well I think we all know that it's not going to be a part of the cinematic universe especially if Matt Reeves is writing this for the Batman Two. We already know for a fact that that film is going to be labeled DC Elseworld. And you know, I gotta give James Gunn credit because that that that's a pretty cool thing. Marvel can't quite say that they have that, but at the same time, Marvel doesn't need to do that. So it's a nice way to to to, to kind of switch it up while still having their cinematic universe. Because obviously, you know, that's something that they've that that they failed at so far. So it's good to see. You know, I'm pretty excited for for what James Gunn is doing, but. Back to this, now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know a lot about Clayface, very little, you know, knowledge about that character, but from the photos I've seen and the stuff that I've read, it is a very, uh, let's just call it an unrealistic character, a very fictional character, and this is all fiction, obviously, but in terms of this, you know, gritty, grounded world rooted in realism that Matt Reeves has, has, has laid out, This is the sort of groundwork that he's laid with this first film. This is the world that he's built. A character like Clayface doesn't seem like the kind of character you think would belong in this iteration, in this world uh, version, whatever you want to call it, of the Batman. So it probably leads me to believe that we're not going to get this big, eight foot tall, you know, mud monster looking thing in the film. It's probably going to be a dude who's just like wearing you know, Clay or something, I don't know, but there will be many liberties taken, I'm sure, and uh, adaptations, uh, if you will, to make the character fit into this world, but I think it's an interesting choice, and, and and it's 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 a villain that we haven't seen on screen yet, and I think that's something we can expect. Now, sure, we will get some familiar characters, obviously, Joker is being uh, tease. We saw him a little bit as a, as a almost like a post credit scene in the last Batman film. So Barry Keegan will return, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm glad to see that Matt Reeves is introducing characters that we haven't seen on screen. yet. And I, I don't think Clayface has been in live action yet, so that'll be new. Maybe he'll introduce other characters like Hugo Strange in the Arkham show that's going to be coming out soon. So. Pretty exciting, this film is supposed to be shooting by the end of this year, so I guess the script is probably almost done at this point, because, I mean, November will come very quickly, so, yeah, um, that's gonna wrap up today's episode, guys, let me know what you guys think about the Batman news here, uh, do you think Clayface is, do you think he will be the main villain of this film, it's also, it's apparently also being reported from the other big Hollywood trades that Paul Dano and Colin Farrell have both signed on to return for their respective characters of the Riddler and obviously Penguin. And we know that Penguin is shooting right now and that film is apparently going to lead directly in to the Batman part two and Apparently, Robert Pattinson was seen on set already, so I'm sure he'll be in the film. Whether he'll be Bruce Wayne or Batman, we'll have to wait and see. But let me know what you guys think. Will this be a film full of villains, or do you think Clayface will be that sort of main villain that we can point to? Uh, Let me know down in the—I keep saying the comments. It's like muscle memory at this point— If there is a comment section on whatever platform you're listening to on, drop it there and let's have a discussion. But guys, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I want to thank you for stopping by. Video podcast will be coming again very soon. And uh, if you've made it this far, man, download all the episodes when you're on your commute to work, you're on a bike ride, you're whatever, you're, you're whatever, you know. Check out the show, support the show if you like the content, and I'll see you all on the next one.